Hello, I'm Daniel Davis, and you are listening to the Gospel Project for Adults Weekly Leader Training Podcast. We are starting a new volume, which is Volume 11, titled From One Nation to All Nations. In this volume, we will be tracing the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem and Judea with the first Jewish believers to the expanded regions of Samaria and toward the ends of the earth. The gospel was never meant to be contained. Rather, God intended his gospel to go from one nation, the people of Israel, to all nations, to people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. With the new volume, we begin a new unit, this one titled, Every Knee Will Bow. As a whole, the sessions in this unit will help us look at the doctrine of Christ's humiliation, both through the preaching of the cross by Jesus' disciples and through the persecution Jesus' disciples experienced for preaching his name. Christ demonstrated humility on the cross to die for our sins. And for this humble act of obedience, every knee will bow before him as the resurrected king. Now, for this week, we are looking at Unit 31, Session 1, titled, The Opposed Apostles. The book of Acts follows Acts 1-8 like a table of contents, following the growth of the church from Jerusalem out towards the end of the earth. But curiously, It was often the religious leaders' opposition to the preaching of Jesus that caused the gospel to go forth. In Acts 5, these leaders thought they could keep the apostles from preaching by throwing them in jail. However, an angel of the Lord opened the jail so they could escape and continue preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. The church continued to grow through the sovereign Lord pouring out His Spirit on people as they came to trust in Christ through the preaching of the gospel. But this happened in the midst of persecution and opposition. For as we will see, even after being freed from jail, Peter and John were later threatened and flogged. Jesus had instructed his disciples to preach about him, a mission they strove to be faithful to even when their lives were in peril. In this, they set an example for us to follow, and an encouragement that the preaching of Jesus is the most worthwhile thing we can do with our lives. In point one, we see that preaching Jesus requires conviction. We pick up the narrative with our focal passage the day after Peter and John were miraculously released from their prison cell. The Sanhedrin convened to figure out what to do with Peter and John, but when they called for their transfer from the jail to the proceedings, they weren't there, but were found to be back out in the temple teaching about Jesus, in whose name they had been warned not to preach back in Acts 4.18. You would think that after having been threatened and imprisoned, Peter and John might be a little gun-shy about going back out to preach Jesus. But they weren't. They went right back to the temple and preached Jesus with conviction, ignoring the potential consequences. What's funny is the people who showed themselves to be timid were the commander and the servants who went to re-arrest Peter and John. They went about this task peaceably this time without using force because they were afraid of the crowd stoning them. Back again before the Sanhedrin, Peter and John did not change their tune by one note. Though threatening accusations were aimed at them, the apostles again declared their allegiance to God over people. And God, through an angel of the Lord, had told them to return to the temple and tell the people about this life, the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ, who was crucified and raised from the dead. And note their conviction with respect to their humility. God commanded them to preach. The message they preached about was Jesus, and they honored God's gift of the Holy Spirit 
to strengthen them for the privilege of being witnesses to the gospel happenings in the previous days. Their mission and their message was all from God. Given our limited space and our resources, we can't cover every word or phrase as we might like to. But on some occasions, we can provide additional information through other means. In this point, Peter referred to Jesus' crucifixion as him being hung on a tree. The QR code on leader page 13 will help provide some biblical context for that phrase that may prove useful for you as you lead and teach your group through this point. In point two, we see that preaching causes opposition. If it wasn't clear before with the threats and imprisonment, it should be now with this focal passage that preaching in the name of Jesus will result in opposition. The apostles said they would obey God and preach Jesus, whom the religious leaders had crucified, instead of obeying the Sanhedrin's command not to preach Jesus. Not only did they indict the leaders for their complicity in crucifying Christ, by implication, they stated that the rulers were in opposition not only to the apostles, but to God himself. And this made those leaders so mad that they wanted to kill the apostles right then and there. And perhaps they would have, if not for a Pharisee named Gamaliel, whom God seems to have used to preserve the lives of his servants on this occasion. Gamaliel was a respected teacher of the law, whom we later find out was influential in the life of Paul. He approached the council he was a part of with an air of reason and temperance. Rather than explode at the maddening situation before them, the religious leaders should follow a path of waiting and seeing instead. He cited two previous instances of would-be messiahs rising up only to be killed and their followers dispersing. Presumably, he expected the same thing to happen here. But he had the wisdom to note that if God really were behind the events surrounding Jesus and his followers, then no amount of fighting it would do any good. And in this case, they would be fighting against God himself. A losing proposition every time. Gamaliel's reasonableness prevailed, and the Sanhedrin calmed. But they still had a point to make, and it would be made on the flesh of Jesus' apostles. Peter and John were flogged, ordered again not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they were released. While the disciples weren't killed that day, they were opposed and punished with lashes like the ones Jesus experienced prior to his crucifixion. We should recognize that according to God's perfect will, the disciples were miraculously freed from prison on one occasion, and yet flogged on another. Opposition cannot frustrate God's will, but neither should we expect to be free of opposition when we are preaching Jesus and his gospel. In point three, we see that preaching Jesus prompts joy. To be a little more on the nose with this point, Perhaps the subpoint should say, being persecuted for preaching Jesus prompts joy. The disciples had been threatened, they had been imprisoned, and then they were flogged. And as they were released back to the public, they went out rejoicing. Not because it didn't hurt, but because they saw the consequence of persecution as evidence of their faithfulness to their Savior. They rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer on behalf of Jesus' name, following in his faithful and saving footsteps. The disciples were treated shamefully by human beings, but they rejoiced, giving God glory for his faithfulness toward them, even in the midst of, and precisely because of, that shameful treatment. 
The perspective of humility exemplified in Christ helps us to see that no matter what may happen to us, God is good, God is faithful, God is sovereign, and He is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. This isn't because believers ignore the impact of suffering, but because believers recognize what God does through suffering. He purifies us and makes us more like Christ, who suffered for us in our place to the uttermost. Therefore, like the disciples in this narrative, believers who suffer today for proclaiming Christ can rejoice and redouble their efforts to proclaim Christ all the more, knowing that we have been afforded the honor of suffering for Christ, who first suffered for us. Jesus commanded his followers to be witnesses of the salvation from sin that can be found through faith in him alone. But Jesus never promised this would be easy. In fact, in John 16.33, he promised just the opposite, that his followers would have suffering in this world. Just as Christ experienced rejection and suffering, so too will his followers. But suffering for Christ is caused not for despair, but rather for joy, knowing that God uses our sufferings, like Christ's, for his glory. Because Jesus suffered on our behalf in order to save us, we believers should seek to stand firm for the cause of the gospel in the midst of our suffering, praying that God might use all of our adversity to bring glory to himself through the advance of the gospel. Thanks for listening to this week's leader training for the Gospel Project for Adults. For more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.